Today we're talking about taking title in Arizona. Let's get into it. All right, we are here today with Tom Krieger. Thanks for joining us, Tom. You're welcome, Jill. So I've got a few questions for you. People get really confused about what it means to take title, how they should take it, and all of that. So let's start with what exactly do we mean when we say taking title? Okay, well, I want to preference all of this by saying you should contact, you should contact an attorney and or a CPA, okay? Because that's very important because I can't tell you what to do right now because I don't know your tax structure. I don't know your legal standing. So it's most important for you to check with an attorney or a CPA on how you want to take title. We have several here I want to talk about, okay? Now, what taking title means is how the ownership is going to be held in the in the property that you want, okay? So all property is titled. It has mm-hmm. a title on it, okay? And do you want to hold it as an individual corporation, things of that nature, and then how? Okay, so if I'm buying a property with myself and a spouse or mm-hmm. myself and a friend or there's three of us that want to go in on something, all that's going to be different ways to take title? Yes, So let's start out with something called joint tenancy with rights of survivorship. So if you listen to that, joint tenancy with right of survivorship is exactly what it is. We jointly own the property. Two or more individuals, typically spouses or partners, hold equal ownership interests in the property. When one of those die, uh, the owners their ownership interest in the property automatically transfers to the surviving owner or owners rather than passing through to their heirs. So let's say you and I owned a property together. Mm-hmm. I died. You would get the property 100%. My children couldn't come and say to you, hey, I want dad's half of that, right? Oh, so that sounds yeah. like a pretty good deal for me then. So a lot of married people... Joint tenancy with rights of survivorship is the best way because it eliminates having to do probate. Okay. Okay. So how is that different then from joint tenancy in common? Okay. So tenancy in common, not necessarily joint tenancy in common, but tenancy in common. Two or more individuals hold ownership interests in a property, but each owner's interest is separate and distinct, and they are not required to hold equal ownership shares. So in the scenario you and I owning a property, you could own 60% of the property and I could own 40% of the property. So in investments, a lot of times that's how that's broken up. Anyone then at that point in time can share or can sell their interest in the property. So I could sell my 40% interest in the property to Jack Jones. And then Jack Jones would basically be your partner in the property. And I don't need your permission to be able to do that. Okay. Okay. On the flip side, then, if we had that sort of arrangement going and we owned the property and I died, then I could give my part to my kids? Right. You could take your 60% in the scenario and your children, it would pass down through your heirs. And then because they have the majority interest in the property, they could make the decision whether or not to sell the property. Okay. Interesting. This okay. type of ownership is commonly used when individuals want to own a property together but have different interest levels or different ownership interests. However, it also can create potential conflicts amongst the owners, right? Sounds like it could be a few butting so, heads. Yeah, so let's go back to what we were just talking about 
40% ownership me, 60% ownership to you. You have two children. Each one gets half of yours. Mm -hmm. The one, let's say your son, sides with me and wants to keep the property, but your other child, your daughter, wants to sell it, becomes a conflict. That would be a conflict. Right. Okay. So, but I can see the value of having that type of title for specific situations. Correct. So let's say we weren't married. We mm -hmm. were senior and we, you know, we're in our 70s. We're not getting married, neither one of us, but we'll live together, mm -hmm. right? But you came into the relationship um, with $200,000. I came in the relationship with $100,000. We buy a $300,000 house. Your family is going to want to make sure that your interest is protected because if you pass away, it's their inheritance. You, right. you can understand right. that, mm -hmm. right? So that's why something like tenancy in common is more beneficial to the, to the heirs of somebody than uh, joint tenancy with rights of survivorship. Okay. Okay. There's also something called community property. Now, how is that different than joint tenancy or tenancy in common? Okay, so community property is it's acquired by a married couple during the course of their marriage, which each spouse holding an equal share, okay? So let's use the scenario again. You and I are married. Mm -hmm. You would get equal share of the property that we bought together. There are exceptions to the property being acquired by a gift or inheritance, Property acquired before and after the marriage. So community property, let's say, again, we got married, mm -hmm. but you had already owned an investment property. I would not have com community property rights to that. Okay. That would stay on your inheritance side, and your heirs would get that. Mm -hmm. There's also the fact that we get married, and I want to buy a property, and you're going to sign a disclaimer basically saying, I understand Tom, my husband, is buying this property with his own money, and I want no interest in that. No part of it at all. No basically, part of it at so all. Right. with that disclaimer, quick claim deed, then I'm releasing all of my rights, rights to the property. Yeah, okay. you disconnect the community property aspect of it. And that way, uh, let's say we got married and I had kids from a previous marriage, mm -hmm. then when I die... It wouldn't need to go to probate. It would just automatically pass to the children or to the heirs. Mm -hmm. Okay, so it, it's it eliminates probate. Um, we most commonly see this type of community property in Arizona with couples. It's not usually investors. It's usually couples, mm -hmm. and most of the time there's a there's a distance between the financial equity within couples that okay. you see community property that is disconnected by a disclaimer deed. Okay. Okay. And again, it's just what it says. It's disclaiming my right or your right to the property. So then community property with the rights of survivorship is just... It's the same as community property, however, explicitly transfers to the surviving spouse. Okay. So kind of like the joint tenancy with rights of survivorship. Right. It just passes straight to the other person. Yeah. But okay. it's a, it's communal, meaning that we are together as a couple. Okay. okay. And then it usually is a written agreement within the deed or within the will of the individual that it just passes forward. So okay. in this scenario, you're dying and I get to keep the property. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so then, you know, soul and separate sounds relatively simple. That's just, <coughs> I bought a property myself. 
Um, I do know you do need to be a little careful if you end up getting married or if it starts getting treated and, and commingled with some things. If you commingle community property activities with sole and separate property activities, mm -hmm. the surviving spouse or partner could have a claim to the property. So be careful not to co-mingle and talk to your CPA, talk to your attorney about how you keep that delineated from okay. community property. But for the most part, that seems pretty simple. Now, general partnership and limited partnership, how does that work? So a general partnership, there are usually two or more people agree to jointly own the property. This happens a lot with like investors, okay? And then they they are going to take the property and operate it as a business for a profit. It's not for them to live in. It's not a personal residence, okay? okay. Each partner contributes money, property, labor, or skills, something of value to the business, and shares equally in the title, management, obligations, the debt, the profits, and basically the running of the of the mm -hmm. business, okay? And if there are losses too, they, they take equally responsibility for the losses. Um, they can uh, they can have unlimited personal liability, okay? So that's a problem. Um, there is no buffer. So if you have a general partnership versus an LLC, individually you could mm -hmm. be liable for being sued. Okay. okay. Yeah. And, and then limited partnership? And, a, and one last thing, there's prearranged agreement, and it's easy to set up how you're going to operate this business, okay? okay? So that it's in writing. It's almost like an operational agreement, okay? We're going to operate this property a certain way for profits. Or in some cases, we're going to operate this property for losses because sometimes people actually need to have a loss. Okay. okay. So with a general partnership, sounds like it's pretty equal amongst everybody. Everybody's right. sharing profit, sharing losses, sharing expenses, and basically sharing... And exposure. Okay, and I was going to say, and sharing um, the, you know, the requirements, like you said, the exposure, they all could potentially... Right. Okay. Like I said, um, you want to have in your general partnership prearranged how things are supposed to go. Hey, everyone, we want to interrupt this episode to let you know that we are a Keller Williams Southern Arizona franchise. We are also realtors practicing equal housing. Now let's get you back to the podcast. One thing I'm taking away from this then is in all of these scenarios, it seems like it's very important to keep good records of what's going where, who's paying what, um, just so it can be you know, proven if it ever needed to be. Correct. Yeah. Okay. You always want to keep good records because outside of the court systems, you got to deal with the IRS. True. Right. Mm -hmm. And we got 87,000 new ones coming in, agents, right? Okay. Let's get down to the limited partnership. You know, a limited partnership is that the partnership owns the property and the partners themselves are limited in the contribution of the capital in order to purchase the property. They're also limited in how much power they have. So that gets spelled out in the operating agreement and the bylaws of a, a limited partnership, okay? A general partner is responsible for management decisions. There are some pros um, in a limited liability company. You have less responsibility. You have protection and usually it's a limited liability corporation partnership versus just a plain limited partnership. So the obligations that you have um, on personal property and business property are protected. 
So your personal property, usually they can't go after your personal property. They can only go after the property that's held within the limited partnership or limited liability corporation. Okay. okay. So this scenario sounds like it's going to be a little more complex, maybe something a little more in-depth, more people, things like yeah. that. You need to spell out more specifics. Yeah. And you okay. should spend a dollar and contact an attorney how to draft up the bylaws. You want to draft up the rules. You want to draft up the operation agreement or operational agreement, all of this stuff. So it's important when you take these ownerships of title mm -hmm. that you understand what each one does. Now, there are some cons. You know, there's a lot of planning and complex agreement structure when it comes to a limited partnership or a limited um, liability corporation ownership. So I strongly suggest you always see an attorney because you need to have, uh, if you're getting lending, right? if you want to dissolve the property, if you don't have the way to have the property dissolved correctly, there could be tax complications that could be a nightmare for you, depending on the size of the property. Right. Well, and I think, you know, for a lot of our listeners, it's probably going to be, you know, they don't have as much experience in this. And there could be pitfalls that they don't even foresee that somebody who is a real estate attorney has seen and can help you avoid and just address ahead of time. Exactly. And when you're when you're at the signing table, you don't want to be talking to the escrow officer or the title rep. That's too late to start talking and yeah. want to take title. Okay? That's true. So when we're starting to talk about limited liability corporations or corporations in general, see, a corporation is nothing more than a it's a business entity that owns an, an interest in the property, okay? So you can have a regular corporation. You can have an LLC. Like I said, you can have a PLC. So all of my properties are, are held in a PLC. It's a professional liability corporation. Okay, now most of the time a person has to be licensed in some way in order to have a professional liability corporation because you're a professional. Um, you also understand there are tax benefits when you go in a corporation, okay? Mm -hmm. Different types of tax rates versus an individual, okay? Um, it's also costly to set something like this up. And if you have too much profit and you're unable to pass it through, you're going to get double tax. So if you're a C corporation versus an LLC, when you hold something mm -hmm. and you have a, a loss or a gain, it will pass through to the partners. But if it's a C corporation, the C corporation pays tax. And then whatever's left gets sent to the individuals and they pay tax. So you pay a double tax. So you want to make sure that you're incorporating the ownership in a proper manner that it's best for your best for you and your tax advantage. So again, CPA and attorney. And it also sounds like being upfront with them with everything else going on in your life is going to allow them to give you the best advice for your situation. Yes, absolutely. And the property ownership does have limitations too. So talk to you there. You want to talk to your attorney and find okay. out what those limitations are. Now there's something called a beneficiary deed or a transfer deed on death or a death deed. And that's when somebody basically passes and that, Ownership passes to one or more of the beneficiaries. So the case we talked about before where you and I own the property together, but we but you passed away, your ownership would pass through mm -hmm. to your heirs or somebody that you designate to be, okay? It could go from you to a trust. So say the way I have this thing set up, yes, it goes yeah. from myself to a trust. Yeah, there you go, okay? The pros, you avoid probate. You can be flexible and change the beneficiaries at any time as long as you do it legally, okay? And it's it stays a private transaction. It doesn't get put out 
to the public. It's just a quiet, what they call a quiet title movements. Okay, so okay. it's not, it's not broadcast. Okay, like probate. The cons are it limits the protection from liens and judgments, um, and it's rather complex and it requires an attorney and potential conflicts if there are holes in the documentation. So again, we always want to stress when you start doing this, talk to an attorney, talk to a CPA because you want to protect yourself legally and you want you don't want the IRS coming knocking on your door right. that you're filing your taxes wrong. And then there's a disclaimer deed or a quick claim deed. That yeah. happens a lot. Um, if I want to just get away from you, mm-hmm. I um, want to take and just quick claim the deed to you and leave. As a settlement in a divorce. I was just going to say, I've seen things like that happen in a divorce or uh, when there's two parents and one of them is co-signing for a child to get their first house. I've seen the other one quit claim deed their portion over. Correct. Yeah. Now, be careful in this. When you quit claim the right to the property away, if there's a loan involved, you can't quit claim your responsibility to the loan away. So, so you need if to make you have sure a child, yes, on you, exactly. Loan. If you have a child and you want that child to have a house and you're willing to sign your name on the dotted line, if your child goes sideways, the bank's going to come knocking on your door. They will. Yeah. Bank's going to get their you, money. And if you don't have the property or at least an interest in the property, you're going to pay anything that that property is delinquent on if they foreclose on the property. So again, talk to an attorney. (laughs) Yes. The big thing I've gotten out of all this is there are quite a few different options for everybody when it comes to taking title. Um, In general, it actually is pretty cut and dry which way you should go. However, there are certain situations that are a little more in-depth and you may have a couple options and really to find out your best option you have got to talk to your CPA and a real estate attorney. Yeah, and and it doesn't hurt to talk to your real estate agent either. Say, hey, this is our situation. This is kind of what we'd like to do. A lot of times the uh, real estate agent understands this and says, okay, this is how you should, but go talk to an attorney. We'll kind of of get you down the yellow brick road, but you want to see the wizard, you go see the attorney. Go see the attorney. All right, well, thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to join us next time. Thank you for listening and watching the Nitty Gritty of Real Estate podcast here with the Tom J. Krieger team of Keller Williams, Southern Arizona. If you are interested in buying a home, selling a home, or even investing in real estate, we have 5,000 agents across the country that we can connect you to. If you need any free resources, feel free to check out our website at www.thetjkteam.com. We hope you have a great day.